0: be great. Um, as a father myself, uh, just I also want to extend a happy Father's Day uh, to all of you fathers out there. I know my dad, who lives in Iowa, is listening, and so I get to shout out to him. If you want to shout out to your own dad, then you get up here and speak. Um, it, uh, it's, a, it's a heavy, high calling to be a father, especially when you start to overlay this thought that uh, God is our father and what that means. Uh, but it is the coolest thing on the planet to be a dad. So to all of you dads out there investing in your kids' lives, uh, just know that today that it matters, right? Have that perspective. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to continue on in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians all summer long. Uh, and this morning specifically, I woke up at 5 a.m., which is what I always do on Sunday mornings when I preach. Uh, Alarm goes off at 5, and I get up, and I start to review my notes, kind of. Usually, I'm finishing my notes because um, nothing like wait until the last second, right? Why procrastinate till tomorrow? What you can procrastinate till next week? And so I'm usually kind of putting some final touches on things. And as any well-to-do, productive adult would do, the first thing I do at 5 o'clock in the morning, the first task I have is what? I make coffee. That's exactly what you do. Well, actually, I just turned 40. So now I go to the bathroom first, (laughs) then, then I go make coffee. So I go out there to make my coffee this morning. I'm the only one awake, and I'm pouring the grounds in the top of the coffee thing, and I spilled. Coffee grounds everywhere. Now, I don't know if you've ever spilled coffee grounds. They're not exactly easy to clean up. And so I'm a little OCD, if you know me, and so I'm like trying to make sure I get every little coffee ground. And then, without even thinking... The coffee grounds are kind of under the, co- under the coffee pot. I kind of lift the front of the coffee pot to clean underneath of it. And guess what I did? Spilled the water everywhere in the back of the coffee pot. And now I've got a flood in this little area that is my coffee pot. I've got coffee grounds everywhere. I've got water everywhere. And then I had to get ready to come here. So this isn't going to go very well. I just want you to know right now that that's how the day started. And I'm just kind of assuming that's how it's going to continue. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, it was... <laughs> We're gonna talk a lot about perspective this morning. And so I thought it very ironic that I get very frustrated when little things happen that shouldn't happen, that are out of my control. I'm one of those people that when I stub my toe, it like frustrates me for like hours. I'm like, why did I do that? I didn't have to do that. It really gets me, but yet we're gonna talk about perspective this morning. So I think it was God's way of kind of preparing me uh, for my own perspective this morning. And so last week, uh, Laurel was here. I don't know how you guys... Uh, I love Laurel. I love the energies that she brings, and I love when she comes out to speak to us, and she talked about how we are loved from the beginning. Uh, And today, we're going to pick up where she left off. We're going to pick up in verse 15, where Paul, uh, the author of Ephesians, launches into this prayer for Ephesus. Now, we're going to read verses 15 through 23, but if you know really anything about Paul, you'll understand that he has this aptitude or talent for run-on sentences. <laughs> the longest sentences known to man were written by Paul. Uh, and so technically, this everything we're going to read today was a sentence in the original text. But before we get into actually reading it, I want to give you just a little bit of context and shed some light on what's going on. So last week, Laurel talked to us a little bit about Ephesians and told us that some historical theologians believe Ephesus to be, and I quote, the greatest piece of writing in history, or the divinest composition of man. High praise. There's a lot of really good books and a lot of really good things in scripture, but there's a lot of people that really love this book of Ephesians. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, but I also want you to understand some of the history, too, before we get into this, because Ephesus was a pretty big city, and it was on this major trade route. Laurel talked to us last week about the fact that Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus not only is in Turkey, but it's on the western side of Turkey. And so it was a major trade route because it was right off of the Aegean Sea, which is part of the Mediterranean, right? So it's this big town, major trade route, but it was also really well-known for pagan worship. Not exactly the beacon of light for the start of the Christian church. That said, before Paul was imprisoned in Rome, which is where he was when he wrote this book, he had made a trip to Ephesus. And not only did he go to Ephesus to minister in Ephesus, he was there for three years. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have missionaries come up on stage and, and they've kind of given their life to missions, and so we, uh, we support them and we pray for them. If somebody came to you today and said, Hey, I'm going to go somewhere on mission and I'm going to be there for three years. Like, wow, you're really investing in those people. You're gonna be able to make a large impact in a three-year time frame. Well, that's what Paul did. He was in Ephesus for three years. And not only did he go there, but when he left, he left behind Timothy, who was kind of his right hand to make sure that the everything that they had started in Ephesus and the growth that they were seeing in Ephesus and the church, that it continued. That'd be like Pastor Aaron leaving and going on to a mission somewhere for three years and then leaving Brody behind, right? He left kind of his right hand. I don't know if Brody's his right hand, but it made sense in my head because he's the youth pastor and Timothy was young, so there you go, um, it really mattered to Paul. This was really important. He spent more time there than he did anywhere. So essentially, in this book now, what you have is Paul delivering kind of his final thoughts. Okay, There's no more time for teaching. Paul is in prison. right? He's, it's kind of the end of his life. This is not a letter where he's going to try to continue on the teaching that he had started. He had been there for three years already. This is a time for reflection and to kind of like give them this final hoorah, this overarching purpose of the teaching that he had when he was there. So let's launch into what we have today. Our scripture is 1 Ephesians 15, uh, 1, 15 through 23. It says, "'For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers.' I keep asking that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's a lot there. That was all one sentence, by the way. I got like C's and D's in English because I never punctuated correctly. I never, you know, I didn't know when appropriately to use a comma. I still don't. The other day I had to look up the difference of when you use affect and effect again. Anybody else? Paul gets away with it. But there's a lot there. So what I want to do is just kind of break this down. So we're going to go verse by verse. So starting in verse 15, let me reread verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all of God's people. That's how he starts. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all of God's people. Wouldn't it be nice if this was your reputation? That when your friends called you, because we don't write letters anymore, do we? When your friends called you or FaceTimed you or sent you a message on social media or something like that, that they said, gosh, all I keep hearing about you is your faith in in God. (laughs) And how you just love everybody. That's the reputation of the church in Ephesus, and Paul is just acknowledging that on the front end of his prayer for these people. Before now, before we get to verse 15, if you go back and reread 1 through 14, Paul is pretty general with his words, but here he gets very personal. Your love for all of God's people, all of them, both Jew and Gentile, and I would argue it is impossible to be in Christ and to look at every. Other single person that you encounter as a child of God. In fact, that is the first litmus test. That is the first lens. That is the first thought you should have when you look at anybody. When I look at all of you out there in the crowd, the first thing you should think about that person is you're a child of God. God made you. God is your father. You're a child of God. Everything else is after that. And how can you possibly Put that lens on and look at anybody and say, God made you, God loves you, you're a child of God, and not love them back. Regardless of how much you like them and their actions, regardless of, the fact, maybe they go to your rival high school, uh, maybe they don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, maybe you disagree with their lifestyle, whatever it may be, before any of that, that person was made by God and they are a child of God. Great way to start the prayer, right? Verse 16, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, that's nice of Paul, isn't it? (laughs) Never stopped thinking about them. He left, but he's continually prayed for them. Now, he just told us things are going pretty well, it seems, in Ephesus, right? The people are known for their faith. They are known for loving God. The church is growing. It seems like it's going pretty good. And so what can we take from this? Even though things are going pretty well, what does Paul say? I have not stopped giving thanks for you, and I keep remembering you in my prayers. Now, maybe I'm the only one here, but when do we tend to pray for people? When their life is going really well, or when they need prayer? Which, by definition, for most of us is, things aren't going very well. This person really needs prayer. Have you ever said that in the context of their life is amazing, This person really needs prayer. No, it's always a negative thing. There's always something going on. There's stress. There's something bad happened. Maybe it's their health. Maybe it's they have a test in school they don't want to take. Whatever it is, there's normally something that kind of has a negative connotation. So you're like, ah, that person really needs prayer. Paul says things are going pretty well, and I'm still praying for you. Still praying for you. So what does he pray? He starts in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. I'm going to stop right there. I know that's the middle of a verse, but this is all one sentence anyway, so I can stop wherever I want. There's three words there I want to point out. Okay, Wisdom, revelation. And enlightened. Let me reread this with the definitions of wisdom, revelation, and enlightened put in there. I am asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of knowing what is true and right, coupled with just judgment and action, and disclose to you things not known before or realized, so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be factually well informed, they may be tolerant, and they may be guided by rational thought in order that you may know. Notice what he didn't pray for. Paul did not pray for a second blessing for the church in Ephesus. He didn't pray for things that, additional things on top of what they already have. No, he prays actually, that they appreciate to the fullest extent the blessing that God has already given them. He's praying for perspective, that they have perspective. I pray that you have wisdom. I pray that you can have revelation and that you may be enlightened. To what? To the things that God has already given you. Have you ever been in a situation in life where uh, you didn't really know what you had, or you didn't really know that something could do something. Uh, I think of, like, these phones that we have in our pocket. Have you ever, like, pulled your phone out, and you found out it did something you didn't know it did before? You're like, wow, I didn't know it could do that. I didn't know I could do that. A couple years ago, I was riding in a car with my buddy, and uh, it was a nice car. Um, It was, like, a BMW sedan, and uh, it wasn't the first time I had ridden in this car with him, and we—I don't remember where we were going or what we were doing. I just remember uh, we were—we'd been in the car for like ten or fifteen minutes, and I said I said something to him. I said, "You know what? I really—you know—I love about riding in your car." And he goes, "What's that?" And I said, "I love the massaging seats." And he goes, "What?" I was like, "I love the massaging seats." And he goes, "What are you talking about?" Timeout. He's had this car for three years. Not a, not a joke. And he goes, what do you mean massaging seats? And I'm like, well, the seats, they have massagers in them. I love the massaging seats. I know what you said. What do you mean my seats have massagers in them? <laughs> and I just started laughing. I was like, are you kidding me, dude? Really? Because at this point, if you know this guy well enough, immediately I knew he never checked anything. He never pushed any of the buttons. I'm the guy that, like, you get a new car, I push every button. What does this one do? What does this one do? Now, do that when you're sitting still, okay? Okay. Don't do that when you're driving. Some of these buttons are a little crazy these days. (laughs) We we go into this conversation. He's like, where's the button? I'm like, it's on the side of your seat. He pushes the button. He's like, are you kidding me? He just like got mad. (laughs) I've had this car this entire time. I didn't even know it could do that. Three years he had that car. Perspective. If you don't know what you have, how are you supposed to know how to use it? If you don't have the perspective that Paul is praying for for the church in Ephesus, he is not praying that their life gets better. He is not praying that God makes their life easier. He is not praying for any of these things. What he is praying for is that they can come to the full realization and understanding what God has already done. Now, what does he want them to know? What perspective does he want them to have? Well, it's three things. Let's read the rest of this together. The hope to which he has called you, the riches. Let me back up. Let me start in verse 18, because I realize I chopped that up. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. Know what? The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God places all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything and the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every. Way. There's three things there. The first of which is the perspective that he's trying to get them to understand is one, you have been called. That's a collective you. That's all of you. That's me. You've been called. Don't ever forget that. God has called every single one of us into his holiness to freedom, to peace, but also to suffering and to glory. More simply put, he has called all of us to an altogether new life which we know, love, and obey, and serve Christ. One where we look beyond our present suffering to the glory in which one day will be revealed to us. This is the hope to which he has called you. That is the hope that you're supposed to have. I think of it this way. If you have a job, did you find your job, or did somebody find you? What if somebody called you and said, hey, I got a new gig for you. I got a new job. It's just waiting for you. It's your job if you want it. That'd be kind of a cool place to be, right? Especially if it was a good job, cool job, right? Maybe it was what you like to do instead of what you have to do. Maybe the pay was better. Maybe you had better vacation, uh, whatever it may be. But that would be pretty cool. I'll flesh that out more as we go. But you have been called to live in hope. The calling has already happened. The second thing Paul brings up here is the perspective of the fact that you not only have been called, but you have been secured. We have an inheritance waiting for us. God calls, God's call points back to the beginning of our Christian life, God's inheritance points to the end. God says that we're heirs. In fact, he says that we're fellow heirs with Christ. One day, it's going to be yours, he says. I love the fact that Paul doesn't think it's like presumptuous that we should think about our heavenly inheritance. Or even anticipate it with joy or gratitude. You know that like in life, they tell you not to get ahead of yourself. Uh, I'm in the middle of a, a 9U baseball tournament this weekend. My son had a couple games yesterday. He's got a couple games today. And uh, they won their games yesterday, so they're getting all jazzed up to get to the championship game. But we're not to the championship game yet, right? we got to play another game before we can get there. And in the pool is the always, you know, I'm not going to, well, I shouldn't say that. That's not nice. There's a team that we just don't love. Okay, it's YZ We don't... <laughs> don't love them they're on the other side of the bracket so we got to get through our semi they got to get through their semi and if we both we're going to meet again it's the only loss we have in the season is this team and we're trying to tell the kids stop it don't get ahead of yourself don't think about it don't think about it don't think about it it's a trap then we won't play our best game in the semis we won't even get there and it's just trying to bang into their heads that don't do that don't look forward stay right here stay right now in the present here Paul says not not with your inheritance. Not with this. God has already told you that not only do you get the inheritance, but as Paul says here, we should be celebrating it. He prays that we may know it, know the glory of it and the riches of the glory of it. It is gonna be a party and not like a party for one. <laughs> it's like a party with more people people than you could ever imagine all the tribes all the nations every tongue every every it's all it's going to be a party and Paul says we need to have the perspective that we know that it's coming that the inheritance is ours that we are secured so this is going back to the job not only did somebody call you and say hey I got a really cool job for you but and not only is it yours if you want it but as long as you want it no matter what we can't fire you Completely secured, it's yours. It's going to be a party. It makes me ask the question, like, what do you look forward to in our life? Like, on the day-to-day, what do we tend to look forward to? Friday? (laughs) Right? We look forward to Friday. Every time Monday hits, it's like, ugh. So far away. How about kids? Summer? (laughs) Adults, remember what that used to feel like? When you knew, you got like three months where you had no responsibilities. What else do you look forward to every single day? A new show on Netflix? I don't know what else you, a vacation? But whatever we look forward to, it changes your mood, doesn't it? When you start to focus in on that thing, Monday is kind of like, and then you get to Tuesday, you're a little bit better. Wednesday is even better. Thursday, you're like, oh yeah, one more day. And then by the time you get to Friday, you're like, mm, made it. And we put so much time and energy into those sorts of things and how we look forward to them. What if we put that much energy into our inheritance, knowing that we have heaven waiting for us, knowing that we are seated at the right hand of Jesus? How would that change your perspective? What if instead of looking forward to your vacation or to your next baseball game or to Friday or a wedding or whatever it may be, you spent that much time, energy, and effort focusing in on this inheritance? Think about how that drives you and how that affects your mood. The last thing he says is you have been given power. So we have a call from the beginning and the security of our inheritance in the end. But what about the middle? What about today? How do I get to the inheritance? I know I've been called. I know I've got my inheritance waiting for me. But how do I get through right now? Well, this is where Paul spends the most time. He really hones in on God's power that we can rest in the present day because of God's power it is God's power alone that can fulfill the expectations set upon us with this calling of us and ultimately bring us all the way to that final inheritance into into heaven he is Paul is so convinced that God's power is enough and that it's sufficient for you and I He prays that we may know the greatness of the power. Notice he doesn't pray that God's power increases. He doesn't pray that God gives us more power. He just prays that you and I can have the perspective and understanding the power that he has and that he's already given us. You may be thinking, prove it. (laughs) God's so powerful, prove it. Prove your power to me, God. How about the public demonstration? Was that God's power? What are you doing back there? <laughs> I don't have ADD. Um, the public demonstration of God's power was through the resurrection and, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. First, He raised Him from the dead. Not bad. Pretty cool. Second, He put him at his right hand in heaven, far above all of us, and put everything under his feet, which, by the way, fulfilled uh, a messianic promise back in the Old Testament in Psalms 110, where it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Third, he made him head over all things for us, for the church. The resurrection and ascension were the decisive demonstration of God's divine power. In fact, if you stop and think about it, there are two things that you and I, that man, do not have control over, zero control over, death and evil. You and I cannot defeat death. You and I know that. Nobody in this audience is going to argue with me that you can defeat death. That's not a thing. Evil. We've been trying, haven't we? In fact, this has been an ongoing theme for us human beings since the beginning of time. mean, you read the Old Testament. It's been going on for much longer than the world that we live, and it goes on today. Every single day, there's evil in this world, and we do the best that we can to fight it, but we cannot defeat it. But in this act here, God in Christ conquered both and therefore can rescue us from both. Paul's praying here That the church in Ephesus may have a thorough knowledge of God's call, his inheritance and his power, especially that power. Because in the present day, we know we've been called, that already happened. We know we've got an inheritance, that's coming. But today, the perspective of God's power. He spends a lot of time fleshing that out. It is this perfect marriage of praying and waiting for God to give us his knowledge and wisdom that Paul talks about, and God wanting us to use our minds and think and use our brains because God has already supplied historical evidence of his power through the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ. There's this saying that says, faith doesn't feed on thin air, it feeds on facts. What are the facts of God's power? defeated the only two things that you and I cannot. We've all had times where we see or hear something and you don't believe it. Then something happens, we get more information, we see more of the picture, more of the puzzle comes together, more facts are revealed, and we become a believer. And so if you struggle with this idea that God's power is enough for you, if you struggle with this idea that your present day is something that God can't overcome or that he doesn't see or he doesn't understand or whatever it may be, then I would encourage you, like Paul is trying to encourage this church in Ephesus, to focus in on the cross, on Jesus' death, his resurrection and his ascension. Because that power that we see in that thing that actually happened gives you all the evidence that you need that God is powerful enough no matter what it is that you're dealing with. Perspective is a funny thing. You ever heard that saying? It's very hard to have, though. And I want to close with kind of a quick story. Um, You've probably heard this story, some of you. The story of the two wolves. It goes like this. An old chief was teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside of me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger. He is envy. He is sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, self-doubt, and ego. The other is good. He is joy, peace, love. Hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you, he said to the boy, and inside every other person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old chief simply replied, the one that you feed. I'm going to invite the band up. Think about that for a second. Which wolf will win? The one that you feed. You guys, it's science. <laughs> That's not a tale or a fable. It literally is science. This lesson is scientifically true. You see, we all have part of our brain called the, and I got to read this, Recticular Activating System, or RAS for short. Anybody ever heard of that? No, you haven't. Come on. Yes. I'm just kidding. I, the RAS. What is the RAS? The reticular activating system is a network of neurons located in the brainstem that project anteriorly to the hypothalamus to mediate behavior as well as both posteriorly to the thalamus and directly to the cortex for activation of wake desynchronized cortical EEG patterns. Duh. That's what it is. (laughs) Layman's terms. The RAS is responsible for your wakefulness, your ability to focus, your fight or flight, and how you perceive the world. Your perception of the world, your perspective of the world, comes from that part in your brain. And like the chief told his grandson, whatever you feed that thing is what is going to win. It is no surprise that when you express gratitude, it increases your positive experiences. Whatever you decide to feed will grow. Focusing on something that causes your brain's RAS to flag anything that's related to it is important. So if you're feeding it negative things, if you're feeding it bad thoughts, we've all had these situations where maybe it's your brother or sister, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your spouse, where something bad happens and then you're mad at them or you're just kind of not happy with the situation and then you feed the RAS in your brain that negative thought, and whatever you feed it is going to lead it to it. Now the perspective in which you see that person, it's all negative. You see them through a light that's negative. You see the world through something that's negative because that's what you fed yourself. Garbage in, garbage out, right? If your default is towards negativity, you will always see the glass as half empty. It is science. Now, this is my challenge to you as we close. Perspective. And the fact that you have a job that you've been given, you have security in that job, as long as you want that job, it is yours to be had. There's an inheritance waiting for you, and you've been given all the power that you will ever need to be able to finish that job. Now, as we close and we pray, think about this. Think about how we tend to pray. What are the things that we tend to pray for? Who are the people that we tend to pray for? God. This person's got something going on in their life and they need prayer. They need prayer. I need prayer. I got this going on in my life. God, these are the things that I'm struggling with. These are the things that are bad. This world's all messed up. Whatever it may be, we focus in on all of these negative things. Well, we're feeding our RAS all these negative things. What if our prayers weren't that? What if our prayers were, God, thank you. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for securing my job. Thank you for giving me all the power and knowing that I'm your child. Thank you for everything that's going on in this world. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you're involved. I thank you for my family, my friends, my loved ones, my spouse. I don't care if I'm mad at them. I don't like them. I appreciate that I'm not alone. What if our prayers were just all about these positive things? My encouragement to all of you is to change your prayer life. I'm not saying you can't pray for the things that you've got going on. God cares about that too. But don't start your prayers that way. Start praising the God that called you. Praising the God that secured that calling that no matter what you do between today, tomorrow, and the rest of your life, that you're secure. And then he gave you the power to do it. Feed the good wolf. Feed the RAS. And have that perspective in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we love the fact that you love us in a perfect way. That you gave us Jesus, that you don't just ask us to live by faith uh, without understanding what your power means, that you gave us the physical demonstration of your power in Christ in his resurrection and ascension. Lord, I just... There's so many things that we could pray about that are negative, but man, there are so many more things we could pray about that are positive. And if we could just take every single day to live in that gratitude and to live in that positivity and just try to see the world through your eyes, see the world through your love, and see the world through Christ, how much better our day today would be. No matter if we're spilling coffee grounds and spilling the water and everything else that we've got going on, Lord, uh, man, you are good. And we thank you for that. And like Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Focus on those things. Have that perspective. Pray in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, would you stand and let's celebrate, gang? It's good news today. Amen. It's good news today. Amen. Get moving. Just loosen up, gang. Again, we're all family. Loosen up. Mm -hmm. Wow. Loosen up, gang. (laughs) I was born again, yeah. Forever safe in the savior's hand i are more than my words can say. I'll follow you for all my days But fix my eyes following you Never free in unending grace Cause you are, you are, you are my freedom We lift you higher Lift you higher Your love, your love, your love Never ending Oh, oh, oh You are alive Down and set me free And everything in this world will fade I'm pressing on till I see your face And I will live let your will be done And I won't stop till your kingdom come Because you are, you are, you are my freedom We lift you higher, lift you higher Your love, your love, your love never anymore Oh! You